Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalbar. Today, I'm joined by Natalie Collette. Natalie is an experienced strategic marketing leader with eight years of marketing experience. Currently, she's customer marketing manager at HubSpot, where she manages customer stories and case studies for some of HubSpot's largest and most notable customers. Prior to joining HubSpot, Natalie worked in customer marketing at two tech companies and worked in consulting and manufacturing companies in content marketing, content management, and corporate communications. My conversation with Natalie was all about overcoming advocacy fatigue. You know, the thing that happens when we find out a customer is willing to be an advocate and then we keep bugging them until there's nothing left. It's a problem I'm sure everyone listening has faced. But Natalie has some tactical advice for how to get around it. Natalie shares her thoughts on how to build meaningful, reciprocal relationships with customers, how to ensure we aren't burning out relationships with too many one-sided asks, and even how to get around PR and legal department roadblocks. Hey, Natalie, thanks so much for joining us on the All About the Customer podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So today we're going to be talking about advocacy fatigue, which is you know this very real thing that a lot of us uh, do where we get you know a customer who loves us and is open to sharing things about us. And then we just, you know, keep going back to that well until it is dry. Uh, A lot of us are guilty of that. And I I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a perfect way to crack this code, but I think uh, you've come a lot closer than anybody I've talked to. So I'm really excited to understand your tricks and uh, tactics here. But before we get into that, I I think a little bit of context for our listeners might be helpful. Um, So can you talk just even briefly about what you do at HubSpot and this Lighthouse program that you run? Like you said, my name is Natalie. I work at HubSpot. Um, I do customer advocacy, but we have something called the Lighthouse Program. So basically, it's a partnership program where we work with some of our top customers. They agree when they join. They're either new customers or sometimes they've been customers with us for a long time. Most of them are customers who've been there for a long time. And they really believe in what HubSpot is doing. And so in exchange for some benefits, um, they have decided that they would do some advocacy for us. They are agreeing to do it for us. And so they are kind of my go-to for anything that I need for the most part. And we have some customers who do that anyway, but they don't like to be in a complete program that's set up where it's a set time frame in which you do these pieces. But there are some customers who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. But then they get extra support, extra services and things like that if needed. But it's a really cool program. I really love it. But I do love also working with customers that are not in the program. They're pretty cool too. And I can talk a little bit about the differences. But I work mostly with the Lighthouse program, but I also work with other customers as well. And I I think that's probably a really good place to start because I think the advantage of having this when we talk about, you know, not trying to go back to our customers too much, I think establishing things really early on in a formalized program where it's like, here's what you're going to get, but here's what we expect from you. I think that's probably a really good starting place. So you talk about how it's really important to establish this reciprocal relationship with our customers to say like, Hey, you are going to get this out of this program or this relationship, but I also need this from you. So can you talk tactically about what that looks like? Like how early on in this relationship with a customer, are you saying that how, how bluntly are you saying that to to this customer? 
So I think it really, it's all about partnerships. So first off, let's back up a little bit. Before I talk to the customer, my sales team is probably talking to the customer or my customer success team is talking to the customer. So when we present it to them, it's not me necessarily doing it. It's usually my sales partner who's like, hey, we would love to have you be a part of this program based off of the things and the feedback that they've gotten from the CSM if they're a current customer. If they're a prospect, we would say, hmm, based off of the conversations that we've had with them during the sales cycle, they look like they'd be a great fit based off of some of the things that they've told us. And so we've worked out those points. So then we tell them like, hey, here's a program where you will get these benefits in exchange for these things, um, for these pieces of advocacy. And so they'll say, okay, we'd love to learn more and we continue that process. But we tell them up front, like, hey, if you join this program, we're gonna expect certain things from you. And of course, not every customer is the same. There is no one size fits all, but we have like a benchmark and then we we work with the customer to see what works. Some customers, if they're in like healthcare, they may be a little bit lenient on doing too much advocacy. So they may take some terms and say, we're not really going to be able to do those. And then there are some customers who work in like say tech who are like, okay, we'll do any and everything. We don't care. So just understanding where the customer is and meeting them halfway is going to be really important. But we tell them up front, like, hey, we would love to have you in this program, but we're going to expect certain things. And then they're say, when they say they want to learn more, then we go in and we say, this is what a standard, like ideal agreement from our side looks like. What do you think about it? And then sometimes they may say yes, they may say no, they may want to have certain approvals from different teams. And I'll get into that later. But yeah, we tell them up front, they know up front, like what that looks like. As far as building reciprocation, I think you may have mentioned like what some of those benefits are. I think one, you need to know internally with your stakeholders, what you all can offer that may be a little bit different. And two, make sure you do the research um, and ask your customers, what are the things they want? You'd be surprised at what they want. Some of them want more support um, with what they're working on because they have so many things to do. Um, Some of them may want to look at your product roadmap. I have some customers that want to do that. Um, in some instances, some customers want to partner with HubSpot from the marketing standpoint because they love our reach. So they want to be a part of that. So really working with your stakeholders to know what you can offer and then asking your customers, what do they want? Um, and then that's when you can really build out that agreement. I love how formalized this program is. It sets expectations early on in the relationship. Here's what you're going to get that will benefit you. But here's your end of the agreement. For some, that might sound too transactional, but I look at it as just managing expectations. Both parties can benefit from a relationship like this, but it's also an incredible opportunity to uncover what's important to your customer so that the value you're providing them is exactly the value that they want to get. That is like the game changer. If you know what they want, then you can find a way. I think it's always easier for me if I know what someone wants. So then I can find a way to say, how can I mold this in? There are some customers who are like, I do want to speak it inbound. And I said, well, in order to speak it inbound, I need you to do these steps first. And then they're like, okay, long as you're transparent and you let them know, like, if you want this, you have to do this, then they're probably going to do it. If they can't do it, they may communicate with you. That's another big thing. I know it's an underrated skill set that we don't talk about enough in the business world, as well as just in life in general. Communicate. If you're like, hey, I really want to speak it inbound, but I can't do all of these steps, Natalie, but I really want to do it. Is there anything else? Then I have to just get creative and say, okay, well, let's see what are the things you can do, but really finding out what the customer wants and being able to deliver brings more delight to where it doesn't feel tiring. 
you know, mainly because then they're doing things that they enjoy. Think about it. We could go all day and work 12, 13, 14 hours. Why? Because we enjoy what we're doing. I don't suggest anyone works 12, 13, 14 hours, but you know, you tend to work longer when you're happier. It's so much about just finding the overlap in the Venn diagram between what you need and what they want. And as anytime you can overlap those two things, you probably take away the feeling that they're just doing something for you. And I think that's really where that fatigue comes from. So another thing that you've talked about is you tell people to uh, build up this empathy muscle. Uh, can, can you talk about what that, that means to you? So empathy, um, it is a part of HubSpot's culture code. Um, so that's also why I was excited to work there because um, that's one of my favorite words is empathy. Um, when you really put yourself in someone else's shoes and it's easier said than done. Um, before you think about your personal goals or the things that you're trying to do, really think about um, the things that the customer wants. For example, if you have a customer who is going through a relaunch or a brand relaunch, I have been on that side as a marketer where I've had to do a company rebrand. That is a stressful time. So if you are in the customer's position and you still need the things that you need, right now they may not want to do, for example, a case study. They may be more inclined to do an online review that takes 10 minutes, but a case study takes, you know, some time. It takes steps. It takes communication. So really moving around and thinking about, okay, when is their launch? Asking those questions. When is your launch? You know, and knowing, kind of saying, well, tell me what that process looks like. I don't know about everyone else, but I know that with the launch or rebrand, there's the before, there's a during, there's the after. So yes, you launch, yay, but then you have a long process afterwards that can be a little bit challenging. So then you can say, okay, I know it's going to be challenging. How long do you think it's going to take? Three months, then we can schedule your case study for four months afterwards. So just really having that, let me think about what the customer's needs are um, and really being a little bit more flexible and not letting it go too far to where the customer may not do any of the things that you may have agreed to at the beginning, but also saying, okay, I'm going to be understanding. Um, and really, if you don't know, really talk to your team members, talk to the sales team, talk back to the customer success team and say, hey, how is communication going with them? Like, what are their pain points that you notice? Because the customer may not feel comfortable telling you, especially as a marketer, you don't always get to talk to the customer as much as maybe sales did or maybe even customer success did. So making sure you talk to other people and you listen to what their challenges are and basically for like maybe half an hour to an hour, put all of your goals on the back burner. Pretend they're not there and say, if you didn't have these goals, what would you want to understand about the customer? So really putting that person first and then you second um, to the point where they feel comfortable and say, you know what, this is a fair consideration. And how do you strike that balance? You, you mentioned, you know, you, you want to be respectful of things that are going on in, in their world and, you know, things that are going to take a bit longer time. Maybe we schedule that for four months. But you also said you don't want to get to the point where they're, they're just not doing any of those things you agreed. Yes. So when, when you have customers who are just not holding up their end of, and in this instance, it's literally an agreement. How do you approach that situation? 
So in a lot of instances, I tell, so we are upfront and we've already told them about the agreement. They've now made the agreement and they're happy, right? And they join. We have what we call a setting expectations call. We call it that internally. That's not what we tell the customers, but we say like an intro call, a welcome call, an onboarding call. Like we're so excited for you to be here. We remind them of the expectations. And of course they're like, well, we're concerned. We may get busy. This is our busy time of the season. And I ask them like, when are the busy times? So I can know not to ask you. We give them dates and they say, well, what if we don't do it. I said, well, here's the deal. We're not asking you to memorize anything. If I ask you, that is when it's on you to then communicate with us. I said, really the biggest expectation I have is communication. So if, for example, we say we expect you to do these 10 things in a year, which is like one or two assets per month or less, actually, if you can't do it, just let me know. Just let me and my team members know. And we're flexible and say, okay, well, you can't do it. We'll just push it to next month, which is why we only ask for maybe one a month. I mean, they're very short and very easy. Like they're not hard, like I can talk about the examples a little bit later. Like we just say, can you just give us your logo and we'll put it on our website saying these are our customers. That's something simple that they can do. So it literally takes all of two seconds. Um, But then we have things that take longer, like a case study, um, be it a written case study or a video case study or a webinar, things of that nature. And so I think to strike that balance is you ask them and if you don't hear from them, follow up using your empathy. Hi, I think you may have missed my email. Let me bump it to the top of your inbox. I know you're busy. Acknowledge that and say, hey, what are your thoughts? You know, and just remind them. Then if I don't hear from them again, I'll say, hey, I just wanted to let you know again, like I'm pretty sure you may have missed my first couple emails, reply to that thread. So you have a history of them and say, hey, I just want to check in. Is everything good? Um, And then at that time, I'm usually talking to sales and see us. Have you heard from them? If they haven't heard from them, then I'm really concerned. But if they have, I say, when is the next time you're going to chat with them? bring me in on that meeting or can you let them know, deliver the message? And it's a team at that point. So where it's not so much, hey, I need my stuff. It's, I'm concerned. Is everything okay? We have this agreement. I've had some customers who have kind of shunned me or for lack of better words, um, or kind of pushed it off. And I would say, unfortunately, if you don't adhere to this agreement by this time, you won't be able to continue in the program. And so a lot of instances that does help because it reminds them like, hey, this is an agreement we had. And while you're enjoying these parts, this is a partnership. This isn't, hey, we're going to give you all these things. I have a hot spot. This is more of a partnership of we're going to give you these things if you work with us. And so we can't work with you if you don't work with us. And if you let us know those concerns, we're flexible. We're happy to move along or we're happy to say, okay, you can continue the program even after the deadline has passed if you do it by this date, which means you can't let that date pass. If you do, then we're going to have some challenges. I've not had it go too far, um, but usually when I remind them like, you can't stay in the program if you don't do it by this date, then they're like, okay, because we have a renewals team that will come in and say, it's time to renew. They usually copy me on that email. They would have asked me before they sent the email and they would say, Let's have a call. And when I have a call, it's me. And they're like, oh, hi. And I'm like, yeah, these are the emails I sent. They would have either responded or not. Most of them respond and say, hey, you know, we can't do it. And they don't do what we agreed to. And then they're like, okay, so what do we need to do to stay in this program? And I say, this is the great attitude to have, but making sure that you communicate, you're understanding, you ask your team members, and then you set a deadline. And then you let them know like, hey, it's not to threaten them, but it's more like, unfortunately, this isn't a partnership that we both agreed to. So therefore we're going to have to pull back on our side. It's setting appropriate boundaries.
I was, I was just going to say, it, it sounds like a combination of having empathy, but also having set respectful boundaries where it's like, hey, exactly. we both kind of agreed to this and things change, but we need to kind of readjust course. Exactly. And sometimes some customers are like, that's okay. Like we can't do the those parts and we're totally understandable. We apologize. It didn't work out. And we're like, that's totally fine. We have no hard feelings. I think the part where it gets difficult to continue that professional relationship is when you just renege on an agreement that we made and just, you know, just don't care. It's, it's not really good business practice at least. So, you know, throughout your career, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of different personas and, you know, trying to get them to, to do advocacy. I, I love if you could talk about how you feel different personas, whether it's, you know, C-suite, you know, directors, you know, frontline workers view advocacy and kind of the benefits to them and their bandwidth. Like, can you, can you talk about what you've seen, and the distinctions and how to kind of, you know, if you have any specific tricks for uh, certain audiences and how to get them to do more stuff? Absolutely. I think to your point, thinking about not only the position, but also thinking about what size company. So for example, C-suite and smaller companies tend to be really excited to do advocacy because it helps not only build the company brand, but it builds their personal brand as a new, or sometimes not new, but a C-suite exec in this space, if they're changing industries or things of that nature. So they tend to want to do those types of things. So it's not super hard um, or new executives, regardless if it's in an executive or enterprise company or small medium business, they tend to want to do, you know, the advocacy. They tend to like to speak um, and they tend to like to speak without a presentation um, because they, if they're in a small business or they're new, they're like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the role that I'm doing, the industry I'm in. And so less is more for them. It's a little bit easier. They have a lot going on, especially even during the pandemic. And now during this economy, that's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit easier than to give a presentation. So I would say C-suites may want to do more of a fireside chat versus doing a formal presentation. Now, when you have someone, for example, as you know, HubSpot is a tech company. We have people who are in the tool that are not C-suite. So a lot of instances, they will do advocacy for like your case study because they get into the weeds and they're okay with it. They are totally fine if they love the product. If they don't, they're kind of like, eh. This is just something else I have to do. And your, your case study won't come out the best. But nine times out of 10, that's when your support team, as well as your CSMs, tend to mend that relationship and help you. So that's why collaboration internally and alignment internally is super important. Now we're going to talk about the wild cards. <laughs> we're going to talk about the people in the middle. So when you have your team managers, your directors, sometimes you have to just go to the source and just say, okay, so are you interested in speaking? Some are say yes. Some will say, no, I'm not interested in that at all. And you're like, okay, so what motivates you? And sometimes they're very guarded. They won't tell you. Um, and so that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But I think with them, you have to almost, I hate to say throw everything in the kitchen sink at them, but you have to kind of do that. So um, I will say the other thing that um, frontline workers, um, for lack of better words, may like is they may like something like a gift card or something of that nature. And I know that a lot of companies have anti-bribery. So make sure you work with your customer, ask them, do they have one? What's the maximum? So don't spend more than $500 or even some have been as low as $200 to make sure that they're not violating any type of laws. But some of them do want that. And so that's why I say throwing everything at the kitchen sink at your wild cards or like your team managers and your directors are kind of like, look, I'm just trying to get my job done. And I'm over here working with training, you know, the frontline 
frontline workers to make sure they can do the things they need. I'm also managing the C-suite. So they are kind of in both areas where they're like, okay, look, I just need something that's going to make my life easier and doing this advocacy won't do that. So you have to find a nice way if it's a community, um, which HubSpot is really big on community-led growth now. We announced it at Inbound. And just in general, the industry is starting to shift towards community because they're understanding the value of communities because as we know, buying processes are changing in the industry. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, We're here to talk about our customers and advocacy, but really saying, okay, C-suite, they sometimes tend to want speaking. Um, They want thought leadership and they want to be able to do it without having to do a formal presentations. Frontline workers, they may want, you know, to talk about the work that they're doing um, in a case study, as well as potentially getting some type of gift card. And then you have your middle of the road who are wild cards where you have to offer them both and see what sticks. And that usually is kind of helpful if you have, if you've asked them and then they won't really give you a clear answer. And how do you go along this process, right? So you, you are trying to work with them to understand what they need, but that's always going to change. So throughout, I, I don't know how long these agreements last. I don't know, maybe it's a year or something like that. But how do you, how do you kind of have internal touch points with yourself to understand like, Hey, this person's getting fatigued. We need to do something a little bit more for them. Or this person is not holding up their end of the agreement. Like, how do you think about trying to readjust and making sure that you're staying the course with this stuff? Sure. So at the beginning, remember when we say this set expectations call, we have a timeline for them already. So we're like, after two weeks of being in this program, we expect you to do these things. After four to six weeks, after six months, we expect these things. Then I tell them the fun part is at the very end, the last thing I tell them is these are not things that are in your agreement, but these really benefit you. And when I shape it to them that this is what benefits you during that call, I say, do any of these extra benefits excite you? And a lot of times they'll say, well, I prefer if I could be on the HubSpot podcast, for example. And I'm like, okay, great, which is mostly thought leadership. And it's not really focused on their HubSpot use case, which they tend to enjoy. But in order to get there, they have to do these pieces first. But I will provide them if they do some pieces of their agreement and they're not all in in that place, but they're like, hey, I've done four out of five already. It's okay. I will still present the podcast to them so that way they don't have that fatigue. And then it's still a win for me because it's still a customer doing something for us, even if they're not talking explicitly about HubSpot. They're still a customer when they win, we win. So it's totally fine. And then I can push that goes back to that creativity and they're flexible. Um, And also, a lot of times the agreements are not always one year. Um, There are multiple years, but the agreement does say you have to do it within 12 months. Because if you don't, then when we have our 12-month check-in call, we're going to say, hey, we don't know if you can continue to be in this program because you haven't done these things in 12 months. So while it is a multi-year agreement, um, in some instances, not all of them, some of them are one-year agreements, so it's kind of simple, but it's a way to do that. The other part I will say is, and I don't know if I mentioned it before, is repurposing. Um, that's something that is super important. Once you get to that fatigue point, I say my goal is always to get a case study. Once I get a case study from a customer and they're fatigued, I'm like, that's okay. I'm good for the another next three to six months because I'm going to take their interview and say, hey, I just need you to approve this quote. Are you okay with it? Either be it written or audio. I say, hey, I want to repurpose this for social media into image carousels where I pull out the key points. And then the CTA is going to be read more from this case study. That's three assets I just named right there from one case study. So if they're tired, I'm like, let me go and pull some things here. So I don't have to really bother them 
per se too much more. Um, essentially, I'm going to say, if a customer has fatigue, how can I service them as easily as possible so I can still get the content I need, which in a lot of cases, a simple answer is how do I repurpose content that came from the customer already? This is such a great idea. Repurposing content to get the most mileage out of it is already a smart thing to do. Episode 13 of the podcast with Testimonial Hero CEO Sam Shepler talks about the value of creating snackable content like that. But it's also an incredible way to alleviate advocacy fatigue. When you create these larger pillar pieces like a customer story, you hopefully get a ton of gems out of it. Written quotes, audio quotes, stats, maybe even a video. You can still get the value of this advocacy without making it a big lift over and over for your customers. That's probably a smart way to pitch this to your customers too. Yes, this might be a big lift up front, but it'll lead to smaller asks down the road. And you mentioned that when you have these conversations with a customer, you say, here are the things that are just like in the standard agreement. Here are the other things that are bonus that are like just for you. You mentioned the podcast as an example. What what are other examples that are kind of in your view, like just, I'll put on air quotes, like just for the customer, because I'm sure there's still some benefit to you, but, but what are examples of other ones other than the podcast? Um, I would say right now, thinking through kind of what HubSpot, because um, we are known for inbound marketing, probably our blog, being included in the blog is going to be really big. I know a lot of people are like, video is so important. I, and I always tell people, people want video. No one wants to be on video. So everyone wants to see video, but no one wants to be on it. So it's customers like, do you have a video? And I'd love to see it. But then when I ask them for a video, they're like, no. Um, so I would say... Blogs are not dead. Um, I'm not just saying that because of where I work, but just in general, like you can't search, I think, videos as easily through Google yet. Like there's still an opportunity for written work. I think people underestimate it. And so blogs are things for customers. Um, while inbound is kind of loosely worded in agreements, speaking at inbound tends to be really big, especially if we're working with marketers, that's for them. For the customers, it also depends again back on the persona and what the customer want at the beginning. Some of them are like, I don't care about the blog. I don't care about the podcast. I want to have insight on the product roadmap. That's really what they want. And I'm like, wow, like that's really a big deal for them. And I've seen that throughout the years being a customer marketer. And I was very surprised. So it's not like a HubSpot thing. I've seen it at my past companies. They're like, I want to see the product roadmap. I want to influence the product roadmap. I want to sit on the customer advisory board. And I'm like, that is so impactful to them and what they want. And I'm just sometimes still shocked to this day because that's how they truly feel about it. But that's really something to think about. In terms of like what's for the customer, sometimes they want to influence the product roadmap. Sometimes they want to not just do a podcast. They want to do a blog. Sometimes they want to speak at events. Sometimes they just want to sit on advisory boards, et cetera, et cetera, which kind of goes to, I think sometimes they are thinking about their their world, but sometimes they're thinking about their personal brand. And so to say that they sat on an advisory board can be very beneficial to their career long-term. So think about the human behind the B2B aspect or yeah, the B2B aspect. My big takeaway from that is you don't get these insights without asking. Like we, we, a lot of times just have these like set things around like here are the asks that we can have, but until we talk to them and actually understand like what motivates them sometimes, yeah, it's stuff like being on an advisory board, getting insights into the product roadmap that we don't think of as Ben as traditional benefits to them. We think of like, Oh, you can redeem this for a HubSpot t-shirt or something like that, which, which some people want, but we really don't know what motivates people until we actually treat them like 
like humans and ask them like, what's important to you? What are you hoping to get out of this? And sometimes as marketers, I think our biggest challenge is we rely so much on data. We rely so much on research. We avoid the simple stuff, like asking our customers, because while data is important and it can kind of help you if a customer is not talking to you, it won't change you being personalized. We talk about personalization all the time. So why are you not asking your customers like, hey, what are some things that you would like? I think feedback, if nothing else is being taken away from this podcast episode, get the feedback, get the feedback and act on it. So I know there are some marketers who will do that. They'll get feedback, but then they won't use it. And it's like, why did you do all of that feedback work, but you aren't using it? And it's like, use the feedback. Definitely ask, ask often, not too often, but ask often and use it, get it and use it. So one topic that is not super related to this fatigue, advocacy fatigue idea, but I think you have really interesting insights and it's sort of related is, When we're trying to get these asks of advocacy, so often PR and comms teams, legal teams can be the roadblock on this, or at the very least, the bottleneck. And I think you have some really interesting insights into how to get around that. So so this is something I'm sure you face so much in your career. Like what tactics have you seen work with trying to not skirt around legal and PR teams, but kind of like work with them to make sure that they're not the, the roadblock here? Oh boy, like when you said that, I said, oh gosh, I'm just just thinking how how many roadblocks I've had to deal with from a legal and a PR perspective. I will say one of the first things is when you're talking to your customer. So let's just go back to the example I use when my sales team is talking to the customer. They sometimes have to talk to the legal and PR team. So when I'm brought in to know when they're talking to them, understanding and saying, hey, can you ask them like what are the things they're concerned about? Again, asking those important questions. I think if marketers can be more investigative journalists um, with their customer-centric work, their life will be whole a whole lot easier. Um, and I know people are like, well, how do I skill out of that if I'm asking all these customers? Well, I, my program, one, is exclusive, so it isn't all the customers in the world at HubSpot because we have thousands of customers and I only manage maybe 50 um, total. Like, it's a lot, so the relationships are more in-depth. But if you're trying to scale it, like, you can use a tool like Influitive um, in order to scale it. But I say all that to say, like, if you include legal and PR from the beginning, find out what their objections are, find out what their goals are. That's a little bit helpful because sometimes legal will say, well, we can't say that because of our investors or something like that. And I'm like, okay, so you can't say that you save this much money, but can you say you save this much time? Can you approximate it? Like really trying to be creative in those solutions. And sometimes they tend to. Another thing I also get, sometimes they're like, well, we want to approve wherever you're going to use us as a story. And so I all I often ask, well, is it because you're trying to protect your brand? Is it what about your brand? Is it that you're feeling like you don't trust us? Because right now it's a, a matter of trust. And sometimes, and now I'm giving a PR example. Sometimes they're they're saying we don't want to oversaturate it. And I said, well, can we only do this many uses? And can we use them on our website? Or we try to do pre-approval. Sometimes we'll say this is where your logo most likely will be placed. Um, are you okay with that up front? So that way, if we get the pre-approval, I don't have to wait on them to give approval back. The last thing I would say to kind of help mediate that is say, we're happy to do approval because sometimes some customers are like, no, we just want approval no matter how many times you try to work with them, which 
I will say be very careful if they are like that because that could be a red flag that they may not be your best advocate. They may say they want to, but they may not be ready. It's not always that customers don't want to advocate. They just may not be ready in the same space that you are, recognize it and move forward. But I will say, give them a deadline. Say, we're happy to allow you approval. We will give you notice and we expect to hear back from you within two to three business days. If we hear no objections from you within two to three business days, two or three, you pick, um, we will move forward. And that will be uh, um, in your agreement and work with your legal team as well too, to make sure that that's worded appropriately and make sure you tell sales so it's communicated and then reinforce it again at the meeting when you have at the beginning of the agreement term to say, hey, remember we have a two to three day business day deadline. If we don't hear from you or anyone at your company, we can still use it and it's not an issue. Sometimes customers say, well, can you take it down? And we're kind of like, it depends on how much of the value is because we want to make sure our customers are happy. But technically, you've done your part. Make sure at the beginning that you have legal and PR involved with the conversations, figure out what their objections are, try to get pre-approvals, and lastly, put them on a deadline if they must approve everything to make sure that they're not a bottleneck. So it sounds like the two skills that people need, that customer marketers need to build up is empathy and their investigative journalism skills. That's what I'm learning from you. The third one I didn't mention was negotiation. So they definitely need to learn how to negotiate. Um, and that that is true. They have to build up the investigative journalism because at that point you want to ask the questions because empathy will lead to that investigative journalism side because you're like, I want to know how they feel. And then you want to ask the questions to get the answers to that. So you're going to have to probe and prob a little bit people love to talk about themselves so don't worry if you feel like oh my gosh i'm gonna nag them they're like no they want to know like tell me how you're feeling because a lot of times people don't get to express that sometimes so you can end up being instantly one of their favorite people to talk to and to answer because they're like oh natalie's gonna ask me how i'm feeling today what are my challenges and she's gonna She's going to be a problem solver, not a problem creator. She's not going to be a roadblock or a bottleneck. Um, and then afterwards, you're going to have to negotiate with them now that you know what their needs are. And don't think I'm trying to manipulate people, but it's a, a way to say, okay, now I understand what their problems are. I'm now trying to solve them. And now, okay, you are saying that you still want something done in a particular way. Let them know like, hey, I've given uh, a lot here and these are the things that I can do for you. And then be okay if it's like, it's just not working because I've given so much. Just make sure you don't give away your values. That's the biggest part. Your company's values are important. Um, and so just make sure everyone is aligned on that internally as well as when you talk to the customer. Be confident in that. So before we get to our wrap-up question, is there anything we haven't talked about around Ooh. this idea of advocacy fatigue that you feel like would be good for the listeners to know? Um, advocacy fatigue can happen, um, sometimes. And so what internally, let me say that. So internally, sometimes when you have your C-suite, my C-suite loves to use customers. Again, HubSpot is very customer centric. Um, and they will say, I'm tired of this story. Um, I will say what's important is to remember that when you have an advocate who wants to do a lot, so you may have a big peak where there's one advocate who wants to do everything. And I have an advocate who I have a really strong relationship outside of just HubSpot, just in general, who will advocate in general. And sometimes internally they get tired of the question of uh, the same customer. So what I would suggest is to remind them that where they seen the customer story, those are different audiences. So while you may be a little bit fatigued on it, just understand that different prospects in the market have not seen this story. And if it's still valuable to them, you still may want to tell it. It will may work a couple times, so don't don't get comfortable in that. Um, give them some backup stories that are strong, um, but make sure you let 
everyone internally know that wow we've seen this story a hundred times the market has not seen this story a hundred times or only certain audiences have seen that story a hundred times that's another conversation of advocacy fatigue on the inside which is why i said it's very important to make sure you communicate um and you're aligned on the same phase but i think that's super important to say like i'm sorry you want to make sure that you get your advocates that want to be involved involved but then also hold back some of it if they want to be involved I naturally, as a customer marketer, wants to use that same advocacy on everything because they're easy to go to and they're easy to talk to. But again, not everybody wants to do that. So if you can get a few advocates there, you can alternate them a little bit. That'll be helpful. Um, And then that way, if that person's like, I can do all of this right now, go ahead and grab it, but hold it. Make sure you grab it. Make sure you work with other team members. Make sure if you need to work with third parties, because I'm not the only one that works with the Lighthouse program. I'm not the only one that works with customer advocacy. I'm on a team of about eight or nine, I want to say. Maybe I'm miscounting. But we're a pretty large team. That's the largest customer marketing team I've been with. I've usually been a party of one in customer marketing. In fact, I've only been a party of one in customer marketing in past organizations. If you are a party of one, um, that's when I would say using your tools like Influitive and no Influitive did not ask me to say that. Um, I just was a former Influitive customer and I love them dearly. Um, And essentially, Influitive can help you use those tools to figure out how to stay in touch with your customers from a customer advocacy standpoint. And then partnering with other um, marketers who will use customers in their marketing tools as well, I think is going to be really helpful. So to wrap this up, Natalie, the the go-to question I always ask everybody, if the folks at home can take one step today, tomorrow to make themselves and their companies more customer centric, what's that one step that they can take? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've talked about feedback a lot, so I don't want to beat that dead horse again. I thought about this and I'm like, what would I say that's super actionable? Um, If you can, no matter what size company you are, if you can, if you can start a community, um, and I say that because you want to know, you want to be able to get that feedback really quickly, go ahead and start. That's how you start a customer-centric mindset because your customers can talk freely, give them that space to just talk, set those um, expectations in there and make sure you put the appropriate resources. Don't just have one community manager, make sure someone on support is in there sometimes to answer those questions that are needed. Like make sure the company is invested in this community. And so that way, because community is not going anywhere and I'm not saying that just because that's what HubSpot is saying. Again, I always thought about community from maybe five, six years ago when I was running a community. I know my customers enjoy talking to other people. Um, And just make sure when you create your community, it's not just about your customers. Make sure you have the right personas. So if you have some that are C-suite in enterprise level, if you are smaller organization, you can start with just customers. You could do it based off industry. Make sure you give people a space to move forward and to communicate and to connect, especially since the pandemic is over. Um, people are very virtual and they want to connect in more ways than one. So you want to give them a way if heaven forbid another pandemic, another global shutdown happens, they can still connect with one another and connect with people and move forward that they don't work with. So definitely I would say today, go and start a community as a company. Um, it's not something that you can do overnight unless you have the way to pull the trigger to do that. But definitely that actionable item is one that I can say, but I've also mentioned, make sure you go get feedback. It doesn't take very long to create a survey and ask them for feedback. 
and, and, and what's the first step with, so, you, know, you know, putting together a community can be a, a big long-term thing. Like what, what's kind of the first step with doing that is it just like identifying those customers that would be part of it. Is it setting up something smaller, like a customer advisory board? Like what's the kind of first step in that direction? That's a great question. The first step is who do you want in this community and what do you want them to get out of it? You have to set those goals and those expectations. Um, as marketers, we know that like before we run a campaign, we can't just be like, okay, so what content do we want in the campaign? We have to start saying, who do we want in the community and what do we want them to get out of it? So yes, you're like, we want a customer community. Okay, well, what customers do we want? We just want customers because we're a smaller or fine. That's not a problem. But what do we want them to get out of it? And Yes, we know what we want to get out of it, but what do we want them to get out of it? And it goes back to that empathy muscle that I mentioned. And then it goes back into that investigative journalism, asking your customers, even if it's just a simple email, like, hey, we want to start a community so you all can connect with one another. What are the things that you're looking for in the community? There goes that feedback again. Um, and then asking those questions. So they all go hand in hand, but definitely figure out what they want because that'll then determine what tool you're going to use because some tools are better than others. Some people just go with a simple Slack community quite frankly, and it's super easy to do. So you can decide to do that. You can be fancy and get something else. There are other tools out there, but you may want to figure out who you want to be in that community, why you want them to be in that community, and not so much what you necessarily want to get out, but what they want to get out of it. Because if you serve them first, then you'll get the ROI automatically. Natalie, this was amazing. I I learned so much from this. I, I know our listeners did as well. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Wells run dry when we go back for water too often. Actually, I don't know if that's true. I've never used a well in my life, but it definitely sounds true. I don't think there's a perfect formula for solving advocacy fatigue, unfortunately, but Natalie has come pretty close. HubSpot starts by having a formalized program. They ask certain things of this group of customers and they get certain things back. She talks with the customers to understand where their interests lie. What are the activities they would find interesting or could help either their company or personal brand? She tries to find the overlap in her needs as well as the customer's stated interests. And she then works with her set plan to make sure they're accommodating to their customer's schedule, but still getting what HubSpot needs. Even with a great plan like this, things will go awry. Customers will seemingly fall off the face of the earth when we try to email them about these things. They'll agree to do X number of acts of advocacy, but then get more and more drained by the process. If there's anything I've learned from Natalie, it's that when in doubt, turn to empathy. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, I'm going to go learn how wells work. Nah, I'm probably not going to.